Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, then I'd love to hear from them, so please reach out via Facebook or an email as I'd love to answer your questions. You can find my Facebook on the show notes or alternatively email me at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. In today's episode, we are going to be starting a new series of discussions on different elements that go into the Western mystery tradition in particular, with a focus on the building blocks of ceremonial magic and ritual magic as well. In today's episode, it will be beginning this new series with a discussion on sacred spaces, temples and their role in the Western mystery tradition. Sacred spaces and temples play a crucial part in the work of magicians and mystics. It's space outside of our current time and location where we can really cross over from our world here and now and experience contact with other dimensions and the beings that inhabit it, including angels, demons, gods and goddesses, as well as our higher self and the holy guardian angel. In esoteric language, building a temple and also building the temple not made with hands nor the sound of a hammer means creating a clearance of consciousness with a minimum of contamination so that we can really attract um, spiritual energies that can be contacted there and also brought to assist the community or the place where you live or focus on a particular aim or goal. The general formula or principle behind the concept of a temple is as follows. One, there's a spiritual or universal force that wishes to manifest in the earth. Two, the temple provides a physical focus for that force. And three, it almost also acts as a benefit to the community or the congregation or the people that use that. The sacred space is a place deliberately set aside from the normal world that is kept sacred in most cases. A place where ritual can be conducted, ceremonies and also religious events of worship. The sacred space is a combination of places and you get different examples from you know Stonehenge to Chartres Cathedral um, and a good definition of it as is as follows which is from Jackson and Henry 1983. That portion of the Earth's surface which is recognised by individuals or groups as worthy of devotion, loyalty or esteem. Space is sharply discriminated from the non-sacred or profane world around it. Sacred space does not exist naturally, but is assigned sanctity as man defines limits and characterises it through his culture, experience and goals. And they also say... In most religions, sacred space means real build, real places in buildings, such as temples, synagogues and churches, or a specific site where a momentous event occurred sometime in the past. 
The natural environment is also subject to religious interpretation, as is indicated by sacred groves, rivers, mountains and caves. Pilgrimages to such places is a clear indication of their significance as thousands throng each year to sacred spots for reasons of devotion, worship or cure. Sacred spaces can be a lofty mountaintop in Tibet, can be a sacred forest, but it's not always a physical space and it can also be an astral or a mental space that we create ourselves in order to escape the extreme busyness of society and also find sanctuary in our own mind. In this sense, the sacred space can be a visualisation in our minds. We can be sat on a packed train in central London or New York and using our mind and visualisation travel to a sacred Zen garden with the sound of water and soft ring of meditation bells in the background. The sacred space is a space in this sense that can be created anywhere if needed. So let's discuss the context of a temple or a working space in the context of the magician. As we've seen already, the sacred space is a space that's marked out from our own time, usually by a seal or a circle or an area, such as a physical building or a door or a room. It can also be a circle, as for instance within the Wiccan tradition, or it can be a, a temple, as is often the case within the Western mystery tradition. Well, when he says the following. The actual operative energy is consciousness itself, and the appurtenance and arrangements of ceremonial procedures in any temple are purely conscious conditioners that assist the process of arousing, assembling and concentrating human awareness to a point from which it can most effectively applied for the purposes of the entire operation. Theoretically, it is possible to do this without the temple. Ordinarily, profane space is converted into holy or sacred space through a symbolic process that reflects the worldview of a particular religion. This is described well by William Gray in his book Temple Magic, and I quote, the actual operative energy is consciousness itself and all the appurtenances and arrangements of ceremonial procedures in any temple are purely consciousness conditioners that assist the process of arousing, assembling and concentrating human awareness to a point from which it can most effectively applied for the purpose of the entire operation. Theoretically, it is possible to do this without the sacred space. He also says... Ordinary profane space is converted into holy or sacred space through a symbolic process that reflects the worldview of a particular religion. Although we don't know the exact origins of the word temple, um, it's likely to have originally meant a particularly cleared space for making observations. So it could be a, a natural place such as a hilltop would have been a good point and... You see this all over the world in terms of sacred spaces being on top of a hilltop. It takes effort for us to ascend the hilltop or the mountain. And when you rest on the summit, you are therefore in this more kind of um, space where you're more likely to be kind of tuned in to the other world. Gray also says on this note, 
it was definitely the most suitable location for humans wanting to make relationships with the physical world around them and the heavens above. Somewhere that would combine the circumstances of their external ambience with those of their internal awareness. This spiritual specialness of a particular place may be due to a combination of factors. The shape or composition of stones, for example, sounds of wind and water, soil, chemicals, scents, atmospheric conditions, tree types or vegetation, seasonal tides and days, times of day or night. All those physical constituents have to interrelate properly so that the total result produces a harmonious spiritual keynote. That, in its turn, has to produce a suitably responsive reply from humans in the vicinity. In fact, all natural surroundings have their own special inner meanings to impart, but discovering which were most suitable for particular spiritual purposes of mankind was a matter that occupied many minds and souls for many millennia. As man has developed and evolved, obviously this concept of a temple or a sacred space has also evolved, as has our relationship with the divine and how we, how we perceive it and how we um, translate it and communicate it into society. So obviously you see things like orientation being very important in terms of it could be facing the sun, um, you know, the rising sun or the setting sun and also other factors as well. But really from an esoteric point of view, what we can see is the temple is designed to create an artificial environment that really sort of stimulates and strengthens the abilities and the psychic abilities and the, and the spiritual abilities of people within it. And it also creates conditions to communicate with this spirit world or these other intelligences and normally the way temples are laid out it's based on a set pattern of principles that can be copied or learnt so that this pattern and their design becomes an integrated part of the psyche of those in the temple so the temple essentially acts as an idealised image of man with the purpose of transforming and making those within who dwell within it better. So it's almost like a map or a blueprint. And this is what Gray says on that. Everything contained in a temple should be practical symbols for the self-construction and maintenance of a human soul. That, of course, includes personal attire and any decorations. Not only must every single item have its own special meaning and implications, but these are to be clearly comprehended by everyone using them. It is not enough to have such usage explained to anyone. The symbology must be actually experienced by those employing the temple for spiritual advancement. That is to say, all the sensory impressions of temple symbology should be translated in terms of repositional output, i.e. the sight or feel of a sword should revoke a sense of being keen and sharp-witted to a point, a rod or staff ought to cause a corresponding awareness of uprightness and so with other old symbols. From this point of view, if we have a, sim a physical temple filled with swords, um, incense, different robes, pictures and drawings, etc., 
this will all have a psychological impact on the people within it. And that's why a lot of esoteric schools and mystery traditions tend to focus a lot on developing the individual and strengthening the character before they allow them to do uh, more ritual work in a temple space because the individuals must have this harmonised aura and you know generally good foundations before they kind of move on to this more um, ceremonial work within a, a highly symbolical highly sim highly symbolic language and environments that's not to say you can't do it yourself but obviously if you're working in a in a group with a, a set um, pattern and a set patron or you know inner contact it's important that you've kind of built up these abilities before and you know this idea of building a strong foundation is extremely important with regards to any training um, because you want to make sure that you're strong and able to withstand the pressures and rigor of regular inner work which can be very demanding and you know can make various different changes in our lives and this is something Dolores um, Ashcroft Nowitzki said when she said the following you are laying the foundation stone of the temple not made with hands that we all carry within us this is and will always be the real temple as you build the physical temple it will become the reflection of the inner one. If the outer temple is slovenly and untidy, the inner temple will be in a like state. An important rule of Rokot work is this, all work proceeds from within, and therefore all work undertaken on the physical level will reflect the state of your inner self at the time. It is an ideal way in which to keep a check on one's progress. There is something else you should know. When all the work is done and your temple is finished, you will no longer need it. You will use it and get a great deal of satisfaction and wisdom from its use. But as you progress, you will use it less and less, for it will internalise within you. This was always the intention. By that time you have become aware of and will be using the great inner temple available to all who can work at this level. But without the actual building of the physical temple, you would never have found the key to its door. And W.E. Butler also commented on this as well um, in his book Lords of Light, which is definitely worth checking out if no one hasn't read it before. As we grow, similar things happen to us haphazardly on the way and we build into our temple of the personality all kinds of rough and unsuitable material. Sometimes you get a good brick, square and true, and it builds in very nicely. Another time it's an odd, misshapen chunk of rock, and we put that in too. But this chunk makes a very poor foundation, for later on it's liable to come apart at the joints. Now, because of that haphazard foundation we've built, we arrive at maturity with a very curious temple of the personality. The doors are where the windows should be. The windows are out at the back somewhere. The chimney comes out of the side of the house. All kinds of defects. And if we think we've built a lovely personal, we are not being honest with ourselves. The temple we've built is a long way from perfect. 
When we come into the occult movement and begin our occult work, the first thing we have to do is to get rid of the rubbish built into our temple. We have to remake our foundations. That means we have to work on it while we're still living in it. If you've ever experienced that process in actual life, for instance, having a foundation wall put in while you're still living in the house, you'll know what chaos is all about. But it has to be done. We have to be ruthless. Ruthless. That particular rock we built in our personality that we're so very attached to. That lovely piece of rock. Beautiful, isn't it? Yes, but it's not in the right place. It's not the right material. So out with it. And that's from W.E. Butler. So what they're saying really is, this is this is kind of what we've been talking about in recent episodes, is this idea of self-examination and really this process of know thyself. So Nothi Suton from the Delphic Temple of Apollo. It's this process of getting to know yourself, seeing your flaws, seeing the good points and stripping out what is no longer needed in order to, you know, really kind of rebuild this temple within ourselves. Um, whilst Christian churches and a lot of conventional religious establishments tend to be open to most people in society, the temples of the mysteries generally are not. And, you know, it was only really for kind of selected initiates that would use them. Um, majority of mystery schools would have probationary training or you know they would have a process where they would train people in their particular mysteries and you'd go through a series of different degrees um, and gradually become more and more in contact with that inner circle of initiated members and these things whilst they appear to be elitist from the outside they're more focused on keeping the the focus of the group rather than it being elitist or not for everybody. As we've seen in the previous episodes of the four powers of the Sphinx, one of the one of the powers of the Sphinx is to be silent, and this this is connected with the the idea of occult knowledge being this hidden knowledge or this hidden wisdom. It's not meant to be for everybody, and when people are ready they'll generally kind of start to come into contact with that um, but people generally probably would not understand it if they're not ready for it and they wouldn't be interested in it so that's why you kind of get this closed group or this egregore which is kind of closed because they're doing very very special work on the inner levels and they want to kind of keep that keep that level and also keep that energy and focus that's not to say that there can be some crossover with that um, you know for instance so you could you know like in ancient Egypt for instance you would have a kind of crossover with the the more mainstream religion being the kind of outer court of the inner mysteries which would be behind that as well so there is obviously an element of it which is is for the the normal person and then if you dig deeper, then you would find that there is more of an inner teaching or an inner training behind that as well. Um, in terms of the actual kind of roles of... In terms of the actual 
roles of what they do and everything obviously they they do kind of help with regards to organizing human activity and you know they function very similar to other businesses for example so they'll often have you know particular work that they would do in the local community or they may you know do more sort of charitable work as well um, a lot of temples tend to be focused around a, an individual or a person so it's like a nucleus um, this would have been a priest or a priestess in older times you know they often have a connection with a particular god or goddess uh, in particularly in ancient Egypt you have this idea of the priest uh, really identifying with a particular god um, which can have issues potentially because obviously you know, you've know got this inflated ego um, aspects then rather than it being seen as a conduit for that power and the other thing before we finish they, they often have a more of a sort of symbolical nucleus as well so it could be you know the square and compass for instance within freemasonry or the rose cross within the rosicrucian tradition or you know the the cross within the kind of christian tradition as well so it's this kind of aspect of a single uniting symbol which kind of draw, brings together all of the inner teachings within that and then obviously has multiple layers uh, as well within that symbol that um, you know the further you would advance within the school then you would actually start to kind of understand that symbol a bit more and more and more information would be revealed to you that's all we've got time for today as i said this is the introduction episode to temples in the next episode i will be talking a little bit about the history of of temples talking about some specific examples from that um, and then we will also be talking about more practical elements of you know the layouts of traditional temples as well as the kind of key symbol symbolism and what the different aspects mean as well so thanks very much for joining us this week on the Occult London podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If anyone has any questions for me, then please reach out via Facebook or email. I'd love to answer them. My email is occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. We really want to develop this podcast further, so I'd appreciate it if you can rate the show or leave a review, as this will mean more people can see it and hopefully get some value from it. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. Catch you all soon and have a great evening. Stop